I want to say good evening. It's certainly good to be here tonight. Um, it's been a rather long week so far. I think we're about, we're about halfway through, so uh, here's hoping that the week can go a little bit better, but it's certainly been refreshing to be here uh, with you fellow brothers and sisters in Christ tonight. Um, I'm going to start my sermon off uh, with a story. Uh, this is a very real story. It's a very true story. It happened to me about two weeks ago. Uh, some of you may have heard this story already, uh, but all of you are going to hear this story tonight. So uh, two weeks ago, I had say about a Tuesday night, uh, I was driving home uh, from school. It was about 2.30, 2.45 in the afternoon. I tell you what time it was so that you know that I was driving home. Uh, I was driving on I-45, and uh, it was just enough traffic that it was tight traffic, but not enough traffic that it was uh, stop and go. So we were still moving fast. There was just a lot of us there. Uh, so pretty, pretty tight traffic, uh, maybe not always the safest place to be driving I-45 at 2.30, 2.45 in the afternoon. Uh, but I'm driving home, and uh, in the far left lane on I-45, it's four-lane road, and on the far left lane, there's a, a big yellow 18-wheeler. Uh, uh, I remember it being yellow. Uh, you'll see why in a moment. Uh, and I was, I, was driving, I was driving along the road, and uh, this 18-wheeler is in the far left lane, but he's going slower than just about everybody else. And so, you know, people are passing him. Uh, as they do. And so I get up, I start passing this 18-wheeler, and uh, he's driving right here, and I'm driving right here, and I've got a clear shot in front of him. So I'm now going to, I'm going to, I start speeding up, and I'm about halfway to him. He starts moving over into my lane. And uh, I, I get a little nervous, because I don't like that 18-wheeler moving into my lane. His car is going to hurt me a lot more than my car is going to hurt him. So, so I put on my brake a little bit, and I just start blowing my horn just to say, hey, I'm right here. Don't move over. Well, he uh, evidently didn't hear me or uh, didn't, he just didn't recognize I was there because that 18-wheeler kept moving over right into my lane. Uh, so I did my only option because I had a car to the right of me and not enough time to get in front of this guy. I slammed on my brake uh, and he kept moving over into my lane and I slammed, slammed on my brake so hard that my, uh, my tires started losing their traction and uh, my car started swerving because of how hard I had to hit on my brake to keep this guy from hitting me. Uh, and it, it scared me. It scared me really, really bad. And uh, fortunately, Lord willing, I didn't hit anybody. Nobody hit me. Uh, the other cars around me managed to break or to get out of my way. I managed to get out of the guy's way. And he kept moving over. And he was there in front of me. So I, uh, and you know, I was, I was scared. Uh, I, I have, I've been scared in the car a few times. I'm sure my parents have been scared in the car with me in the driver's seat a few times, but uh, this was one of the most scared I've ever been. I couldn't feel my arms. I couldn't feel my heartbeat. Uh, everything was kind of, it was, I was real scared. But the thing is about me, and some of you may know this about me, and some of you may not know this about me, is the fastest way to get me angry is to scare me. Uh, when I get scared, that is the fastest knee-jerk, hot, explosive temper fit that I'll have is when I get scared. And so immediately after this 18-wheeler scared the life out of me, I, uh, I start accelerating, uh, mostly to keep up with the flow of traffic at first, but then I started saying, I'm going to catch up to this guy, and I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. So I'm angry, I'm, I'm driving up, and he's moved over into the next lane now, so I get next to him. And I, I, you know, I mentioned I was blowing the horn when he was moving over to let him know I was there. Well, this time when I drove up next to this guy, I was blowing my horn for a completely different reason. I was blowing my horn because he almost hit me. 
I was mad at him for almost hitting me, and I was giving him a piece of my mind. So I'm blowing my horn, and I'm, I'm, I'm hitting it heavy, and I pull up next to him, and I'm, I'm yelling. He can't hear me, but I'm yelling because I'm mad, and I'm yelling, and I point at him, and I'm going, what in the world is wrong with you? And he looks down, and all I saw on that man's face was confusion. He had no idea that that had happened. And you know, some of you are hearing that story, and you might be thinking, well, you know, Keegan, he almost hit you. So maybe, maybe the anger wasn't that unjustified, you know? I mean, it was, it was pretty scary, and he should have been paying more attention. And you are right, he definitely should have been paying more attention. But that's not why I'm telling you this story tonight. I'm not telling you this story so you'll take my side. I'm really telling you this story because over the past couple of weeks, I've been rather ashamed of my response to that situation. It's really bothered me that in that moment, I responded with some of the most vile, vitriol anger I've responded to with a person ever in my life. And uh, it's been weighing on me a little bit, and that's part of what inspired this sermon uh, that I prepared for you tonight. Um, I titled tonight's sermon, Turning the Other Cheek. Uh, and uh, if, you re if you were paying attention for the reading just now, you'll know that that verse... Uh, has a lot to do with what we're talking about tonight, and uh, if you weren't, I went ahead and got it for you again. We can read part of it, but in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38, it reads, Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, that ye resist not evil. Uh, but yeah, that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law, and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also, and whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor, and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you, and persecute you that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. You know, as I was kind of reading this verse and, and studying it and preparing some of this lesson for the evening, one thing that I reflect on this is, is Jesus says to do good to those and to love those that do evil to us. To do those that, that do evil to us. And you know, when you think of someone who does something evil to you, you think of someone the evil, you know, usually there's intention behind that thought. People that do evil to you they're doing it on purpose. You know, that's kind of what that almost implies there. Is there. It's not haphazardly. It's not by accident. It's on purpose. And even when people are, are doing these, these hard, evil things to us, and, and when they're hurting us, and when they're threatening us, we're still supposed to give them love and kindness in response. And I lost my temper and lost my cool and lost my head at a guy who didn't even know I was there. He didn't mean to hurt me. He didn't mean to almost get me in trouble. He just, he just wasn't paying attention. You know, I don't pay attention sometimes. I've gotten in close calls myself for not recognizing a car was there and, and not understanding and not being fully aware of my surroundings. And 
you know, I wouldn't think that I had any malicious intention behind that. But when I'm in that situation, when I'm the car switching lanes, almost hitting someone else, I'm wanting that, that patience and I'm wanting that mercy and forgiveness. But when I'm in the other situation, it's so often that I find myself not being forgiving and patient and merciful. And that's not a good way to be, brothers and sisters. And I don't know if you're that way too. Um, I don't know if you have road rage. I don't know if there's something else that gets you really worked up and gets you, gets you mad. We all have something that gets us mad, but I don't know what it is that you may be struggling with, but, but I'm here to tell you tonight that it applies to me and it applies to you and it applies to all men and women on this earth that we are to not recompense evil for evil. We're to love those around us and we're supposed to return those who, who do things that hurt us and that, and that upset us and that injure us with kindness and with respect. And that's what Jesus is saying here. And, you know, it's one thing to say this stuff. It's one thing to say, do good unto those that do evil to you. Be good to those that hurt you. Bless those that persecute you. But Jesus, Jesus practiced what he preached. Jesus was the expert of practicing what he preached. Moving on in the book of Matthew, in chapter 26, verse 47, And while he spake, that being Jesus, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he, hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then, they, then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priests and smote off his ear. Then Jesus said unto him, Put up again thy sword into his place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled? That thus it must be. You know, I want to think about the situation and, and really reflect on the, the, the point of view that Jesus is in here. Jesus is being taken away by people. Have you ever been grabbed by multiple people? I, I, I can't say I have. I can't say I've been in a situation where I've had people, a mob, come up to me and grab me and yank me away. But Jesus was in that situation and these people were intending to kill him. And they had made that intention very clear. And yet when one of his disciples drew a blade to defend him, Jesus told him to put it away. Jesus told him, let them take me. It wasn't their place to do bloodshed. He said, if I prayed to God, he would send me 10,000 angels. He would, God would take care of me. If I needed defending from these people, God would take care of me. And you know, had Jesus done that, he would have been in every right to do so, to defend himself. And I want to look a little bit at what he says to Judas here. Judas, one of his close friends who betrayed him and who turned against him, and he calls him friend. Have you ever been betrayed by somebody? Have you ever had somebody do something that, that they betrayed your trust and they... they 
you, you confided in them and you, you, you trusted them and you turn around and, and they betrayed that and they hurt you? Do you still call that person friend? Do you still love that person and treat them with the same love and respect as you would your closest brothers and sisters? Because I, I, I can say I've been in my own feelings betrayed and my response isn't as graceful as Jesus's. My response wasn't as forgiving as Jesus's. And we're supposed to look after, we're supposed to be like Christ and to strive to be like Christ. But I think nothing proves this point that this was the attitude of Jesus. Nothing cements this further than what we read in Luke chapter 23, verse 33 through 34. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. Jesus, as he is hanging on the cross from this mob that has attacked him and berated him and belittled him and, and given him every possible insult that we can imagine at this point, while he's hanging there, not after the fact, not days after the fact, not after he resurrected, while he's hanging there being executed, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And while the, the mob there may not have understood the complete ramifications of what they were doing, while they may not have completely understood or completely believed that, yes, that was the Son of God they were killing, you know what? They still knowingly, knowingly attempted to put to death an innocent man. These people were vicious and ruthless and cruel. And despite that, Jesus, recognizing their ignorance, said, Father, forgive them. Is that how we respond when we're in situations of, of, of being hurt and of being attacked? Do we say, Father, forgive them? Do we, do we feel that mercy for people and that love for people? And clearly from the story I told you, I don't always feel that way. I'm not always the one, I'm, never, I'm rarely, truthfully, I'm rarely the one saying, Father, forgive them. I'm rarely the one who in the moment, in the heat of the moment of anger and pain and suffering saying, Father, forgive them. I'm rarely the one forgiving. And I'm ashamed of that. And if you're the same way, you should also be ashamed of that. It's a shameful way to be. But so often we find ourselves behaving that way and, and, and trapped that way and acting that way. And God has always been for forgiveness, brothers and sisters. God has always wanted us to be forgiving. In Proverbs chapter 25, verse 21 and 22, it reads, If thine enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he be thirsty, give him water to drink. For thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord shall reward thee. Do you have enemies? 
And you know, we, a lot of times when, when we're from the pulpit and we're standing here in the pulpit and we start talking about enemies, you know, we talk about people who kind of, they, they hate Christians and they, they hate God and they hate Christ and they, they hate the Bible. And you know, we get up here and we talk about those kind of enemies. And, and this, this, this verse applies to those too. But do you have personal enemies? Do you have people that you know that you just don't like? Is there people in your life, whether they be classmates or co-workers or neighbors, people that, that they just seem to oppose you at every single turn? And no matter what, they always seem to be getting on your nerves and they always seem to be getting under your skin and they always seem to be causing you problems. Would you help those people if they were hungry? What if it was someone who personally went after you? Someone who bad-mouthed you to your friends or bad-mouthed you to their friends, someone who, who talked bad about you to a boss, maybe got a promo lost you a promotion or a raise or, or something like that, or who gets you in trouble, someone who always antagonizes you. Are you willing to help those people? Are you willing to be kind to those people? In James chapter 1, in verse 19, it reads, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves." For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. You know, I work in the, in the food service industry uh, and a lot of times I come home raging mad. I, I come home and I'm, I'm steam might as well be blowing out of my ears. And uh, as I'm sure all of you have seen, my face is red and I'm, I'm mad because, because, oh, these customers came in one minute before we closed and they demanded to be sat down in the dine-in and, and they, they left a huge mess or I'll come home and all oh, of these people got so mad at me because they had a longer wait and they were yelling at me and I, I get mad and I come home angry and, and my parents do the most irritating thing in the world possible and they go, well, well son, you know, they might have just had a bad day. They might have just been real upset. They might have just been getting off a late shift and, and now they're coming home hungry and I, oh man, that just makes me angrier. But does that sound like slow to wrath or swift to hear? And you know, I, I say this and I, I, I say it somewhat jokingly, but truthfully, the way my parents are teaching me to be and my, the way my parents are, are acting in that scenario and are thinking about that is how I'm supposed to be acting in that scenario. And it's how, it's how we all should be when someone is just, is just really really making us mad and someone is really hurting us and someone's, someone's really done something wrong to us is we need to evaluate and recognize that most likely it's not intentional. That these people aren't trying, aren't out to get us. That these people aren't out to hurt us. And, and we need to think about the fact and maybe just give others the benefit of the doubt 
that we would want were we on the opposite end of that situation. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 13, it reads, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. You know, it's good to give people the benefit of the doubt. It's good to, to be patient and, and loving with those that hurt us, that don't mean to, that insult us without, without trying to insult us. But it's just as important to forgive the people that hate us. It's just as important to forgive and to love the people that despise us. And if you think there's people that don't hate you and don't despise you, start telling them you're a Christian. And while it may not happen with all, a lot of people, that attitude will change like that. People hate the message that Christ has to offer. They hate it. And they hate it because it tells them that they have to live the way God's will is and not their own will. But Jesus here, or uh, not Jesus, but the apostle here says, don't marvel at that. Don't be shocked by that. That shouldn't come surprising to you that people hate you for loving God. That shouldn't be something that we, we scoff and, and, we, and we, we go, well, I just can't believe that they, would, that, they would be so, that they would be so mean and that they would hate me so much just for being a Christian. The world has always hated Christians, brethren. The world has always hated God. That's no different. That's not new. But as Christians... As followers of God, as believers in Christ, we're called to be better. We're called to not meet that hate with our own hate. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, it reads, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, Envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Sometimes we read this list and we go, we go, ah, oh, fornication, I don't, I don't partake in that, you know, I, 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 I keep myself clean, or, 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 uh, you know, idolatry, I don't have any idols. I put God first. I love God most. Witchcraft, I don't have anything to do with witchcraft or pharmaceuticals or drugs or what have you. I'm not going to get into all the logistics of the word witchcraft being used there and all of that. But, but we go, I don't do these things. Well, what about hate? What about hatred? Do you have hatred? Sometimes I have hatred. You know, I, I, I always remember... Jonathan, several years ago, um, can't remember the topic, but I remember him being up here talking about how he would always drive past the, uh, the Planned Parenthood building. And uh, if you don't know what Planned Parenthood is, it's an organization that, that specializes in abortions. And how angry that driving past that building would make him. And you know, there's, uh, I go to the University of Houston sometimes driving. As soon as I get onto the road to leave, Right there next to campus is a Planned Parenthood building. 
You know, sometimes, and that, that really makes me mad. Uh, that's, that's a very personal thing. Is that something that, that really bothers me? And it, it should bother me, but, but sometimes my, my anger with what I know is going on in that building and what's being promoted in that building, sometimes that anger starts to, starts to leave the action and it starts to go to the people doing it. Sin is wrong, and, and, and those partaking in sin are doing wrong. And we should hate sin wholeheartedly. But we have to be very careful, brothers and sisters, that we're not hating the people partaking in those sins. And it's real easy to slip into that, especially when we let that anger, and, and it might start as justified anger. It might start as, as a righteous sense of anger because something, is be, something wrong is being done. And we get mad because something wrong is being done to these people, to these babies, or, or what have you. But we have to be real careful that our anger with that something being wrong is someone did it wrong, and I'm mad at that someone. I hate that someone. We can't go down that path, brothers and sisters. Jesus didn't go down that path. Jesus loved all of the sinners. And he still does. And we sometimes need to remember that sinners includes us. And we're a part of that group. Just as bad as those who, who march around with pride flags or those who, who, who blow up buildings or, or what have you. In God's eyes, it's all the same. And if you think we get mad when someone offends us, if we get mad when someone upsets us, think about how God feels. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 17, it reads, Recompense to no man evil for evil, provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. It doesn't say avenge yourselves. It doesn't say avenge those who can't avenge themselves. It says avenge not but give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. We don't need to worry ourselves with the punishments of sin. We don't need to worry ourselves with people who seem to do evil constantly, and all they are is rewarded for it. Because God's going to take care of it. God is going to take care of it of that sin, brothers and sisters. And those who continue to do wicked and those who continue to do evil and don't repent of that and don't change their ways and don't turn to Christ and don't turn to Jesus, God's going to take care of it. It's not our place. It's not our place to decide what should be done. It's not our place to decide when justice should be delivered. It's not up to us. Because we're all sinners. Because we're all sinners, just like every other sinner in this world, just like every other name that pops into your head tonight when you think the word sinner, when you think the word evil and highness, we're all in there. And God's going to take care of it. God's going to handle it. And we don't need to worry ourselves with when he does. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Almost word for word, exactly what was written in Proverbs. It still applies. 
Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. We have to love brothers and sisters. We have to be kind brothers and sisters. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 17. Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth, and let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth. Lest the Lord see it, and it displease him, and he turn away his wrath from him. Fret not thyself because of evil men, neither be thou envious at the wicked, for there shall be no reward to the evil man. The candle of the wicked shall be put out. Luke chapter 6, verse 36. Be ye therefore merciful as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, and shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. God watches us. God watches how we treat our fellow man. And he watches our hearts. He watches how we forgive those who wrong us and how we, how we love those who hate us. And if we don't forgive, just as it says, forgive and ye shall be forgiven, it could just as easily say, forgive not and ye shall be forgiven not. That's what it's saying when it's telling us to condemn not. We can't tell people, you're going to go to hell. That's not our place to say. We have no say in that matter. That is between themselves and God. Who goes to hell and who goes to heaven. We have no place to say these things. We have no place to feel these things. In Acts chapter 2, verse 36, it reads, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now I want you to think for a moment and put yourself in this situation and realize that you are just as responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ as the Roman Empire, as the scribes and Pharisees, as Pilate, as the Roman soldiers, we are just as responsible. And the next time you, you read or you study or you hear of the crucifixion of Christ, I want you to put yourself in the position of the person beating on Jesus, spitting on him. And then I want you to put yourself here. As Peter says, that that man you crucified is the Son of God. Verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts, and they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? It's personal, brothers and sisters. We personally put Jesus on the cross with our sins and our actions and our transgressions and our wrongs to God and our hatred of God. We put Jesus right there. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That lie you told your parents when you did something wrong and you didn't want, you, and you didn't want them to know, it's a whip to the back. 
for Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. That cuss word that you'll just let fly when you, when you really flew off the handle and you got mad and you were upset, wham! You slammed the reed onto his head, pushing that crown of thorns just a bit deeper. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. That time you sat down and you, you watched pornography, that time you lusted after a woman who was just walking down the street. That time you committed whatever sin it is you committed, bam. You put those nails in his wrist. Bam. You put those nails in his feet. Bam. I put those nails in his other wrist. And we hung him to the cross. We did that, brothers and sisters. I did that. You did that. Everyone did that to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And as he's hanging there on the cross, and we put him there, and we beat him so bad that he couldn't even walk, and he couldn't get up the hill, and he couldn't carry his own cross, and he was thirsting, and he was suffering, and as he's lying there on the cross, what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He said that for me, and for you. And for all of us. Because we're all just as guilty. Because we all sinned. Because we all fell short of the glory of God. He had to die in that manner. And he forgave us. And he forgave us wholeheartedly. As he was bleeding out. And struggling for breath. And we're a raging fit because someone cut us off on the freeway. God expects us to show mercy and love and kindness. And he knows it's not impossible no matter what someone does to us because Jesus showed us that same mercy and love and kindness. And he died so that we could be forgiven. In Titus chapter 3, in verse 1, it reads, Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. 
not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. You know who gets hurt when you forgive someone's wrongdoing of you? When you forgive someone for hurting you already? You know who gets hurt when you forgive them? Nobody. No one gets hurt. You may have been hurt already, but no one keeps getting hurt. When we turn away from that anger, we spare others. We're sparing them. And we're sparing them the same way God has spared us. Could you imagine if God had my temper? We'd be in a whole lot of trouble. Can you imagine if Jesus had my temper, there'd be no hope. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 through 22, then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. You say, how many times can I take being hurt by this person? How many times can I take this hardships and this pain and, and just keep letting people get away with it? I ask you, how many times has God let you get away with sinning against him? How many times has Jesus forgiven you for betraying him? Over and over and over again. And if we're to be Christians and to be like Christ, that is how we're to be, forgiving over and over and over again. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. This is Paul writing this. Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. How great is it that we have been forgiven for our transgressions and sins? How great is it that that we have done such awful, horrendous things and, and God has still consistently chosen to forgive us. I say that's wonderful. 
I say that's a love that I'm incapable of doing. But I'm going to try. And I encourage you to try. I want to just draw, as we wrap up the study for the evening, an interesting parallel. In John chapter 15, verse 18, it reads, If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. This is Jesus speaking here. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. I want to really focus on what it says in verse 18. If the world hate you, this is Jesus Christ speaking, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. This is God in the flesh. The world hated me. But, in John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent, his son, sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's love brothers and sisters. That's forgiveness, brothers and sisters. That's turning the other cheek. That's looking away. And that's beyond merely moving on from someone who has hurt you and not seeking out vengeance. But that's forgiveness and loving and acceptance. God sent Jesus as, a, as an olive branch to us. As an extension of forgiveness, he sent Jesus Christ to this earth to say, I'm giving you a hand. I forgive you. Tonight, I'm asking you to take the hand of God. Accept that forgiveness. If you haven't done that yet, don't wait any longer. Because he sent Jesus to love. He sent Jesus to save. But there's requirements for that salvation, brothers and sisters. There's steps that have to be taken. And if you've yet to take those steps, and while that may not have been the focus of tonight's lesson, don't wait any longer. Don't put it off any later. And if you've done that, and you feel that you have been, been overwhelmed by, by anger and hatred, and that you have fallen short of the name Christian, we will pray for you. We will help you. Because if we're all being honest, we've all done it. We've all fallen short. We've all made mistakes, and, and we want to encourage you, and we want to encourage each other to keep pressing on in this life. If you be of either group, we ask that you stand while we sing the song that's been